Hello! It's Game Think Talk Live. We're going to be talking about Ready Player One. We're going to be talking about Far Cry 5. We're going to be talking about A Way Final Out. Fantasy. Final, Final Fantasy. Fantasy. Shadow of the Colossus. We're going to be talking about some great stuff. I am one of your hosts, Matt, and I'm joined by... Matthew Owen. That's me. Up here. What's up, guys? How you doing today? That's right. We're all here. Let's get going. Thank you, Jeremy, for joining us today. Jeremy's having some struggles trying to play Dark Souls with a generic controller. Let's oh, that's the issues. roughest, Jeremy. You know what you pisses get... me off? A quick little sidebar. He yeah, was telling fine. me how his uh, his Xbox controller, the official controller, just is not working well. And I'm hearing so much crap about people's PS4s not working. I, I sold a Slim to a guy because his PS4 got bricked by installing an update. Wouldn't... Yeah, yeah. And it's like, what is with this generation? Every P I've had a couple PS3s. They've all ran flawlessly. My PS3 controller still has a longer battery life than my PS4 controller. What's That's going what on? I was going to say. PS4. PS4 controllers have like this super bad battery life. Yeah. And specifically Jeremy's point, Microsoft, like in the 360 era, was garbage at their system hardware. What's happening with this is the Xbox One, as great of a controller as it, as it is, um, one of my favorite controllers because it just feels so good. There's like a few things that will always go wrong with them eventually. Mm. And it's like pressing down on the D-pad will scroll two or three inputs down instead. Oh. And I thought it was maybe just me, but I had two controllers do it. And then yeah. I was at a buddy's house and his controller did it. And it was one of those like pro new S controllers. Oh, yeah. So like the, they still can't make a good D-pad. Like sometimes yeah. they just stop connecting entirely. His, yeah, his problem stuff. was he was having lag on the D-pad going left and right. I uh, found yeah, the, the that bumper buttons like are awful. Inputs. They feel uh, like, uh, like, what's this clicky sound? It's gross. Yeah, once you bust them in, they feel a little bit better. But, like, uh, there's some weird stuff with that. I still prefer it over the DualShock, but I have been playing a ton of Fortnite Battle Royale on PS4. Yeah. And I played one match on Xbox, and it, it felt super weird. So the PS4 controller still at least is good enough where I can use it and be okay at a game. I like the shape of the Xbox controller. I think, I think it's yeah, more comfortable for long periods hands. of times. All right. Hey, Far Cry 5. Is it yeah. worth getting if people haven't played Far Cry? When I, my gut reaction when I think Far Cry, I think open world, check Correct. marks and Correct. boxes, and then there's going to be one sort of druggy scene, and they're going to try Very and correct. have some like edgy characters, and it's it's going to be a solid ass game. It's going to be lots of gamey gamey ass game stuff. There's going to be mm -hmm. some well rendered asses, ass asses. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah. Uh, but does it elevate beyond that? Is it better than an eight? My favorite score. Um, yes, I'm gonna say it's better than an eight. For okay, a so now we're talking about a way out. Or did you want to uh, elaborate? A way out is an eight. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Eight. Uh, Far They're Cry all Five. Eights. So, so if you've played Far Cry, um, since Far Cry Three, uh, you know that it's always kind of been the same thing. You just go to some sort of exotic place where you are immediately captured by some sort of cult leader. And then like Matt said, you explore the island doing a numerous amount of side activities, which usually come down to check marks, you know, explode these locations, infiltrate and liber liberate these uh, locations, find these collectibles, earn experience, move on. Yeah. Uh, what Far Cry 5 does is a little bit cooler. Um, it takes place in Montana uh, in the US, which isn't as interesting as somewhere as, as exotic as the Himalayas, but it's still uh, Himalayan mountains, but it's still fun. Uh, it's it's centered around this cult, which is essentially gun nuts. They're like Appalachian Mountain gun nuts who are really into their guns. And they're, they have a militia because they think there's some sort of uprising coming called the Collapse. It's weird because Far Cry 5, it feels like it's trying to almost emulate these modern day American political struggles with the alt-right, but it doesn't want to say that. Mm. So it substitutes those kind of feelings out with... Um, general religion so they'll say like oh the lord giveth the lord taketh away generally speaking the motivations of the cult leaders um and the characters themselves they're wishy-washy you know you're not going to get any villains that are as cool as Voss from far cry 3 yeah but what the game does well is it kind of pulls back from that whole ubisoft checklist kind of thing by um, kind of organically introducing quests, almost Skyrim style. Mm. Uh, so you, when you start off, you're on this little island, it's an introduction island that kind of teaches you the way to play. And then you pull out and there's three sections of the map, each one represented by a herald or a leader. Uh, the cult is uh, led by one guy named, I think, Joseph C. And then he has three siblings, uh, an older brother, a younger brother, and a sister. 
The younger brother is the recruiter. The older brother is the, the one who trains all of them with their guns. And Matt, the sister, is the drug one. Uh, she mm-hmm. has this drug she peddles called Bliss that, in Far Cry fashion, just makes you go into these weird kind of states. Every Far Cry game needs a drug thing. Yeah. What's cool about the game is you can go in any direction you want. Um, and you generally just start exploring these areas and you find new locations and maybe you'll meet somebody there and he's just a side character and he'll say, hey, I heard about this person over here that needs help at the lumber mill and you'll go there and you find a new character who will give you story missions. You're finding these different pockets because the cult doesn't run the entire state, you know, or the entire county. They, in the beginning of the game, say, all right, we're going to try and take it over. So you've got people who are trying to survive while this cult exists in their rural area. Mm. And then you, uh, trying to find your friends, kill the cult leader. So you're finding these cool characters, and you're doing quests. And, you know, there's mission quests, side quests. Generally speaking, it's still the same Far Cry experience. You know, you have multiple weapons. You're going to want to be a little bit... It's not run and gun. It's kind of realistic. But using vehicles, like Matt said, there's animals. Um in this game, you can have a, a squad of people who come and help you. So maybe one of those earlier characters you meet, you can uh, bring onto your team and then have them alongside if you don't have a co-op partner with you. Because the game is fully co-op. You can play all the missions with with a friend. Um, there's some really cool people you can bring in. So you can have like a dog, you can have a cougar, you can have <laughs> a bear named Cheeseburger. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they do some silly things. And that's what I like about Far Cry 5 is that if Far Cry 3 felt like the first attempt to be super edgy with this kind of twist on insane villain, you're captured on an island. 4 was good, but felt a little retreaded. And then Far Cry Primal is where I fell off because they just kind of took everything out and made it very crafting based. Far Cry 5 takes all those ideas, kind of boils them down. It's a, it's a beautiful game. Absolutely beautiful game, especially on PC. Um, but they're trying to re-embrace this kind of like fun joyous just enjoy the the game to enjoy the game uh go out and explore the area don't worry too much about following any specific storyline and that's what i like about it um when you're trying to take down these heralds all you do is everything you do within a section of the map that they control goes towards this bar and there's different clicks on the bar and once you reach one of those clicks so say like 10,000 mission points or whatever you'll have a story sequence right it's that allows you to kind of, oh, I want to go off and do this side mission, or I want to do this quest line, or I want to do some hunting challenges for a while. Everything feels like you're making some sort of progression in the campaign. Hmm. So Far Cry 5, as a single-player story, the campaign, I'll say, um, with a friend, could be an 8-ish, or a 7, or a 9, depending on how much you like Far Cry. But it's still a very good game. The thing that I like the most about this and Matt, I think this is what I wanted to talk about. I said, I want to talk about some industry stuff here, um, is the way they handle the online multiplayer. So Matt, do you know, you know Ubisoft, of course. We, they're, they have they're great for online multiplayer Creed. games too. Rainbow Six, the, I, Thank you. Can, so Rainbow Six Siege is exactly what I wanted to bring up as a comparison, because if Ubisoft supports Far Cry 5 in the way that they supported their previously released Rainbow Six Siege in the online components, Far Cry 5 has the potential to be one of the best online shooting experiences for first-person shooters for these reasons. Is it a battle uh, royale? No. In, this is, it, it, go, it harkens back to those old kind of like PS2 early Xbox Live experiences that someone like me and you would really appreciate. Maybe a newer audience might want something a little bit more balanced. I'll explain why, um, but it's, it's definitely unique. So Rainbow Six Siege, you know, it started off and people didn't like it for different reasons. Ubisoft took on their recommendations, fixed the game up, people started playing it. And now three years later, people are still playing enough and Ubisoft goes, hey, if you guys are still playing three years later, we're going to continually give you new content for the online game, right? That's great. A developer continuing to support their game online with new content for the fan base. Far Cry 5's online, besides its co-op campaign, is something called Far Cry Arcade. And what it is, is it is a map editor that allows you to make custom maps for solo and co-op missions, mm. uh, multiplayer, so deathmatch, um, and a bunch of, there's like six different modes. But what they do is they include all of the assets or at least over like 2,000 assets from Far Cry 3, Far Cry 4, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, um, like all these Ubisoft properties, gives you all the tools and says, okay, go with it. And the map editor 
is robust enough where you can do AI triggers, custom animations. Uh, it's you can't just go in there and drop a few bricks. You if you're a creator and you know what you're doing, you can make experiences, these bite-sized 15, 20 minute experiences that are going to be better than the actual game content. Wow. Um, so you can do those solo and co-op, right? And there's a good uh, curation system within the game and on their website. But the thing I found that was the coolest is the online multiplayer. And this is what I mean talking about balancing issues. So when you make a multiplayer map, you have the option of selecting uh, loadouts. You know, if you spawn into the match, you, you can choose from a variety of guns or whatever. And the person who made the map can decide that. They can also put modifiers on the game, like no health regeneration or double health regeneration, um, no explosive damage. You get the idea. They can tweak and change the game modifying so they can almost change the way the game is played. When you hop into a multiplayer game, you hop on and you have uh, a server and just like old school halo style you vote on a map right but these maps are all custom made and currently they're all kind of remakes of other popular maps right so when i played last night i played uh de dust from counter-strike okay. i played nuketown from black ops i played a halo remake map um and i played uh oh god was it called shipment from modern warfare 2 now, the reason this game is cool is because each of those games, the creator fine-tuned, not fine-tuned, but changed the modifiers so it felt like you were playing that game. When you play the Counter-Strike map, you have a pistol, a knife start, you can get, like, one assault weapon. You know, you don't have, like, a whole lot of inventory from your loadouts. Uh, you move, like, a little bit quicker. Um, explosives don't do any damage. You have a very small amount of ammo compared to the Nuketown map where, you know, you can chuck grenades all day. You can have like these crazy attachments on your weapons. So each round of competitive play is almost like this fresh new experience. And then in between all of these kind of classic deathmatch stages, somebody chose something called like the Yeti Island. It had like one star, but it's fun. Sure. And we hop in there and it's just kind of this, little uh, snowy tundra with a cabin but there are neutral trolls on the map that just run around and kill every character no matter what team they're on wow and this is the first week so if yeah. you look at something like little big planet that in the first week people were doing some cool stuff but nothing mind-blowing but eventually made full games within the engine it gives in ubisoft said that post-launch there's going to be six updates with assets and content for the map maker alone this is already on top of their season pass content, which adds new stuff for the single player. But if they support this, you can have essentially a first person engine that gives you assets from all sorts of Ubisoft properties, makes your own, you can make your own first person mission, whether it's a get from point A to point B, kill a certain guy in the map, kill all the enemies, whatever you want. And then doubling that with the multiplayer that basically allows you to kind of tweak and make exactly the experience you want. Do you want a, a, you know, a, a death match where it's like one hit kills and everyone uses snipers. Maybe you want to put a map that's a maze and everyone just uses shovels. Completely possible. Right. We can and recreate all of GoldenEye. You can do that. And when you're in a hopper, you have people that pick the maps. And since you're each mission or each round is something different, one minute you're, you feel like you're playing Call of Duty, the next minute you, there's freaking trolls running at you. The next game you're playing, you know, like a recreation of a Halo map and it all feels a little bit different and it's just, it's fun. And yes, it's a little bit unbalanced, but like I said, if Ubisoft listens to fans and makes these tweaks and changes that people might be complaining about, this could be the little big planet of first person shooters. And the arcade, the Far Cry arcade mode is so robust that I would have purchased that as a separate thing for like 30 bucks. So as a $60 package, Far Cry 5 has a cool campaign that's good or whatever, depending on your tastes, mm -hmm. but has one of the most impressive map editors I've seen this side of Time Splitters Future Perfect for the original Xbox. Like it, it is fantastic. Wow. Me, I love user-generated content, Matt. I don't know how you really sit on that stuff, but everything I've seen from games that allow user-generated content is eventually the user base will create content that is better than the stuff that shipped with the game if you just stick with it. 
And I, I with, think with uh, with multiplayer, it, it makes more sense. I, I was never really into playing Mario Maker, but to be able to make custom maps and play custom games uh, that's works really well. And Ubisoft, to see them bring over... I've, I've never really been enticed by Ubisoft single-player games. Mm-hmm. I've always found them sort of like generic and uh, the things Check I don't like Foxy. about open world... Um, still like decent enough, but just nothing to really draw me. But their online games have been really good the last few years, so it's nice to see them combine that. And uh, you, that uh, sounds pretty intriguing. Can you easily set up sort of custom maps? I find if I wanted to find a game to play with, like from two to ten friends, can you set up custom maps with people in custom matches? That's what I want. So. I haven't looked too deep into it because I spent a lot of time on the campaign. Um, I'm another cool thing is that as you like play matches in Far Cry Arcade, you get points. Like you have a level. Like I'm level nine in the Far Cry Arcade, and when you level up, you get rewards. And sometimes they give you perk points, which you can then use in the single player and boost up your abilities. You know, unlock perks like swim faster, hold more weapons. Mm-hmm. And those transfer over to both modes, so it's kind of like Whoa. this overall progression thing. Okay, so they um, don't so, want to do custom because they don't want you. Well, I don't. They don't want you upgrading on your own time. You can you can look you at your favorite maps. You can you can browse maps, um, but when you click multiplayer, it just match makes you with a twelve person server because right yes. now it's six v six deathmatch, and then from there it's kind of at the will of what people who are choosing the maps want to put into the hopper. I'm pretty sure you'll be able to do custom matches. I mean, you can find any map and download it and do a private match. So there's that. I don't know if you could like feasibly, if I wanted to go on there and say I wanted to play uh, Nuketown, you know, I don't think I can type in Nuketown and then find a server that's just playing that. But if I wanted to, I could have a private match where I invite all my Xbox friends and then we play on Nuketown. You know, mm-hmm. couple questions. How, how good Ubisoft is, eventually, yep. I imagine them putting all that in there. There's six six planned updates, and wow. their their wordage on it was: after launch, we have at least six planned updates for this map editor and Far Cry Arcade. So that's just Ubisoft generally saying. I mean, I might be reading too much into it, saying, but if you guys like it, we'll continue to support it. You know, Far Cry is a platform kind of thing. All right, a couple of questions from the chat. Number one, how are the load times? Um, load times, it's seemingly low. For the single player, there's really no loading unless you die. And if you die, it's maybe a 10 or 15 second load. I'm sure on PC, it's much quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, multiplayer, maybe the time downtime between a match is 45 seconds to a minute, depending okay. on your matchmaking. But there's not a lot of load times. The, the game is very good about ensuring that you can get to the toppest of a mountain, mm-hmm. uh, jump off it, and wingsuit out. You can use helicopters in this game, so you can go from point A of the map to like the other side of the map and never see a load screen. The and only I, time I, you see load yeah. screens are maybe like before a cutscene will start sure, or a sure, specific sure. mission warps you away. Yeah, I mean they've sort of hammered out. They're pretty good at that open world streaming situation. What about um, the custom? But nothing maps? more than the custom, The custom maps and that stuff is that loading fast? Oh, as it's well? quick. Quick. It's quick. Uh, you look at something like Little Big Planet. It might take you a minute or two to mm-hmm. download a map um, with all of its assets. And I haven't played enough maps to really see a single player map that has like you know a bunch of stuff just packed into it. But I I have played over twenty matches of multiplayer, and it just says downloading map. It sits there for about ten seconds, and then you just load in. So it's not even noticeable. Like okay. Modern games, sometimes we see these minute, minute and a half long cutscenes or uh, loading scenes. Far Cry has not an issue. No, it, it, it does a good job. All it right. Performs very um, well. uh, I don't want to talk too much more about this, but just real quick, Jeremy had mentioned that um, he liked the different ways you can play with it stealth and action. You know, Fulani says yeah. sometimes, though, he's stealthing around, you know, stealthy, really getting into it, and then all of a sudden, like two trucks come up behind him and just assault him. Do you find any of those sort of clashes in, uh, in tone? So there's certain characters that kind of uh, these side characters that you can bring on your team and they will do different things. The one I got first, her name is Jess and she uses the crossbow. You can kind of point them around and tell them to do stuff. Um, And the funny thing about that is the AI is really stupid. So I've seen her standing there like trying to stealthily take out a dude while another enemy is staring dead at her, Mm. but you don't get alerted. Um, It's kind of this way or that way. I don't really play stealth, but I have taken out full camps without raising any alarms, no problem. 
the thing is is like i said with that bar once you hit that first tick of a bar yeah you, you'll have some sort of interaction with the the leader of that territory and then you might get away or they'll let you go and then the enemy presence and the enemy patrols that are driving around they kind of raise so you can be in the middle of a mission trying to completely stealth and it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for maybe a truck to be coming down a road uh especially the further you make it in that territory they you know they up the amount of enemies per volume per area as you go i think stealth wise it's a feasible thing if you look at a game like wolfenstein 2 that was like hey you can do stealth just kidding you really can't it's just mm -hmm. you stealth for a little bit and then you're gonna shoot far cry has some of those times where you'll be completely stealthy and for some reason something will trigger and you're shooting but if you really want to go stealthy i mean there's tons of stuff for that you know there's bait to lure out animals crossbows sniper rifles every gun can be suppressed like it it is stealthy and they make a point that you can do stealth and action as well well but yeah you know, we talked a lot about far cry man. we did we can talk a bit more um from a just a, a video game standpoint ink of the dragon says with all these games claiming multi-choices with stealth or assault but in the end isn't everyone just advertising the same two options continuously what else is there? I'll start talking because you were talking for a long time. It generally yeah. does seem like all there is is either lethal or non-lethal. And then there's take them out quietly or loudly. And then a lot of games have hacking. And then you have your mind powers, your mind control. And then you yeah. have uh, conversation. That's always a fun one. Being persuasive. I find like... Uh, what a lot of people have talked about, I don't know, one person I saw a video on, I don't know why I said a lot of people, but one person did a video on why they liked Fallout 2 a lot more than Fallout 3. And they yeah. they mentioned that Fallout 3 says it has a lot of choices, but the choices are very simple. Like, do you want to blow up an entire town with a nuke or not? Like oh, White wow. area, black area, and then maybe one choice that's yeah. like this gray area. Fallout what? 2, you can do whatever. And you can do whatever, and there's also, you can actually solve a lot of problems just by talking and having a philosophical argument. And I found um, mm -hmm. in Deus Ex Human Revolution, and even the oft-maligned, there's a phrase you always hear, Invisible War, the really yeah. disappointing sequel, that, that one had always five or six options where a, uh, it's an example I bring up all the time, and it's a great one. There's a professor, a scientist who made a weapon, and you have six factions all telling you something different. Destroy the weapon, use the weapon, sell the weapon kill the scientist capture the scientist yeah. set him free do nothing and there's no right there's no right or wrong and i love that and i, I feel like uh ink of the dragon says there aren't too many choices i mean it games do basically come down to point at something and shoot and try not to be yeah, caught and try not to so get hit things. by objects but uh you really have to start stretching into more of i guess conversational to uh, well at a certain point it becomes an rpg if it's a first person yeah. shooter there's only so many things it's it's nice because we lead into this with a way out the game we're going to be talking about which yeah. is a co-op game that has some of that stuff but a lot of it is solving problems not using shooting or you know using talking but at a certain point that becomes an adventure game or it becomes an rpg like mm. mass effect or fallout so the question is is what can you do within a genre you know because it would be it the closest thing you're going to get to that is like matt said a deus ex or maybe a prey where it's narrative enough but it's from a first person perspective that they let you shoot, they let you hack, they let you stealth around, maybe explore. But there's only so much you can do. Um, and with a lot of these action games, yeah, they're gonna go either stealthy or loud and that's what you get. We're not trying to get into philosophy. That's mm -hmm. for the RPG fans, you know. But, All right, well, let's uh, move on here. I'll uh, be super brief with, uh, with a way out if you wanna do Final Fantasy first. Sure. I, I recently completed Final Fantasy, the main story of it, and I Final have, Fantasy 15. That's right. The most modern Final Fantasy. If I say okay. Final Fantasy, I either mean number one or the most recent one. And yes. man, I, I really fell in love with the first half of that game. The first two-thirds of that game were done so well. The line-to-line -line writing of the dialogue was really intelligent. I actually... I, I, I heard everybody. I love the early boy band feel, like when you're yeah. in that. I only got to play chapter six or eight, mm -hmm. so I was still kind of I was leaning off that first like initial love of it. But I like the way it differs from other Final Fantasy games, especially in that first half. You sure, feel like a boy yeah. band on a road trip. Yeah, and I heard all that stuff, and I thought, oh, whoop de doo, it's not going to matter. But the 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 great part about it is that they actually they just really nailed that, and it's because the writing feels genuinely uh, pretty real yeah. and uh, super effective. And then. It's really a miracle this game worked out the way it did because it was a 10-year-long development that 
changed directors just in the last few years when they said, look, we're, we we got to cancel this thing. And Wasn't it they, originally 13-2 or 13 It was going to be uh, Final Fantasy 13 versus or versus 13. It was going to be yeah. set in that universe. They had already invested in the uh, in the engine. It's a different thing. Yeah, and then they, they change the Hinge characters a lot. It would have been terrible. And then uh, Tabata came in, and man, did he do a wonderful job with it. You can you start to see some of the cracks later on where they really rush you down and they funnel you down. It really feels like they ran out of time. However, there okay. are so many great ideas, like narrative ideas in this, and the plot later on that I won't spoil, that really flesh out the villain in an interesting way and the protagonist, his big decision and what he's leading up to. But the problem is that they kind of mention it just once and then in passing with some of these scenes that feel like... It feels like when you watch a, a novel that's been brought to the big screen in a movie and you go, oh, they didn't really explore enough of that character because they just didn't give them enough scenes... And that's what kind of happens here. You have one scene with a character, a big exposition dump, and then it's never really mentioned again. And I found that the ending, they seemed to, with me, I didn't really connect with what was actually going on. Then when I went back and, and talked with people that were, um, you know, uh, on our stream that knew, and I read some, I had to read some wikis on it and stuff, uh, I realized, okay, well, that, that is what I had thought was right. But they did such a poor job of, of reiterating that. But So I guess my main point is, number one, it's a miracle they actually... Um, managed to pull that off. Uh, yeah. sh I can't believe they did so well. It, it's, I actually forgot that it had a poor development up until you, um, up until a big moment where you meet one of the big summons. Uh, well, Square, Square, they have the balls to do that. You remember Final Fantasy fourteen? the online thing came out and everyone was like, hey, this is hot garbage. And they went, okay, we're taking it offline and we're going to completely redo it. Like That's they, right, they, yep. They'll do so. And it's disappointing to hear that towards the end, they kind of, I expected this was going to happen, that they doubled down on more of that big world stuff, because that's one of my biggest scripts of Final Fantasy, is I often feel like it's, you know, group of kids versus large corporation, or very, like, just not abstract, but large ideas with a lot of, like, proper nouns, and, like, this woman is going to give you a book of a key, and you have no clue if she's actually, like, a cat or something. You like weird stuff. Yeah. And so Final Fantasy Fifteen starts off as just, like, this boy band with very personable characters driving through a desert in their nice car, and you're running out and killing them. It feels like a simplistic story, and it has larger implications because yeah. of Prince Noctis. But as they started to get into the more... As soon as you started to see like industrial buildings and fighting things like mechs, I was like, I don't, I don't. Yeah, like, exactly. I'm there getting... were a lot of a lot of a lot of the last part of it. I just thought that's flashy, but I don't really care. I just don't really like. I care more about the Chocobo farm. Yes, weird industrial place that I I can't remember why I was there, but yeah. I think I fought a a lady character. Yeah, like you did. I I don't know who that is. I feel yeah. like she was important to the story. Well, a lot like of the, a lot of those the scenes Chocobo farm got left way behind. cooler. They just they they couldn't. I mean, because of the level of polish that they want to do with that, they uh, they just couldn't. So it was. Uh, that's all I really wanted to say about fifteen. I, it's still worth. If you haven't played it yet, it's still totally worth playing. I mean, if you can grab it on sale, I would. Although, if you can get the Windows edition now, it's probably worth the full price. And and the nice thing is, once you're done with the main story, they make it so easy to go back and enter in any of the chapters you want to replay and also there are extra little fetch quests and you can get right back into that open world stuff and all the character building and just hanging out with your bros and running around doing quests they make because that's what i wanted to go back the whole time and although on paper you think oh, okay well they give you this open world it's bright and it's fun and you have your characters and all of a sudden the last part funneling you towards the boss is dark and claustrophobic that works but they just they just skipped on a few uh, a few story beats and they but. kind of show that in the beginning am i going crazy or am i, am I hearing zelda music you're hearing Zelda music. It's, okay, no, no, I just, I just want to make sure that. Mic. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm deep, deep Zelda fan. So like sometimes I just have audio hallucinations. But to Matt's point, even if you don't like Final Fantasy and turn-based stuff, uh, I not a huge turn-based RPG fan. I like them, but Final Fantasy isn't really my game. Um, I still really enjoyed what I played of 15. I just kind of bounced off it because there was a lot of stuff coming out around the release of that game, and they said they were going to make some improvements. So. Even if you find yourself like a fan of Kingdom Hearts or more action RPGs, Final Fantasy 15 is still worth a go. And you could probably, like Matt said, get the like standard edition for 20 or 30 bucks. Yeah, so, but here, okay, here's the deal with that is the... The other editions are way better or like yeah. almost essential, right? You're going to want the Royal Edition Damn or the square. Royal Pack because it adds a lot of fun boss battles and some missing content. 
Um, the season pass is explain a few things to do with your characters. Sometimes your bros just go missing and they come back and they tell you and you go, man, I wish I got to see some of that. Like this, the Prop thing is like BRB, I'll be back. And you're like, yeah. Oh, okay. No, okay. Bye. And then, and then they'll have this kind of, there's this one moment where the main character and another one have this kind of deep discussion. Like, is it really okay that this happened? And he's like, yeah, of course. And you go, I have no context to this. You're having an emotional discussion about something. I don't know. Is it okay? I don't know. I guess that's just something you got. It's like an inside joke or something. They have. The one thing that I remember about Final Fantasy XV when it comes to dialogue and stuff like that is a conversation that Noctis and Prompto have sitting on top of a trailer mm. about Prompto and why he takes pictures. And like, maybe that's why I connected with Final Fantasy XV so much is because it really I like felt that like- scene. That was great. That, yeah, I don't know if that was just something because you can talk to your your buddies when you like, you know, rest at camp for the night, which is something you do normally. So I don't know if that was just like a random throwaway scene or like a story thing. But like, that's the stuff I like about this game. And it just felt it felt really cool. Plus, the combat worked out. But uh, yeah, a way out. Do You want to talk about that real quick? Let's talk about a way out. Hit me. So a way out is made by Hazelight Studios, directed by Joseph Farris. I might have said that wrong. You guys might know the Hazelight Studios from a brother or brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. It was the adventure game where you played as two characters, uh, each one controlled independently with one of your right or left analog sticks. It was on 360, uh, just released on Xbox One, PS4, all that stuff. Uh, you might better know him as the guy who was at the Game Awards last year and said, fuck the Oscars, like three or four times. It's that guy's game. Yeah. Uh, a Way Out is a co-op only, meaning no single player. You have to play it with a friend. Uh, adventure game where you play as either Vincent or Leo, these two guys who wind up in a prison and attempt to break out. Other stuff ensues. A crime kind of thriller story that focuses on a narrative, but also focuses really on the idea of two players playing together. You could play online, but I recommend playing couch co-op. Uh, the coolest thing, uh, industry way, uh, the coolest thing about this game in terms of industry and the games industry is that you only need one copy to play it. Uh, Joseph Ferris is really into the idea of independent and, and not trying to screw over the consumer. So say Matt, say I bought it and you don't have it, but we want to play together. I can send you an invite on PlayStation four. And when you get that invite, there will be a little link to the PlayStation store within the invite and you click it and you get to download a special trial demo. It's essentially the whole game but you can't start your own game. Mm -hmm. You can only join my session. But that's that's it. You don't have to pay for the game. I'm bringing you in on this adventure. Um, the game itself, uh, the story is like a B-rate Shawshank Redemption, you know, kind of tropey prison escape stuff. You've seen it before. Um, it devolves into a pretty interesting kind of crime story. But what's really cool is the characters and the way the game kind of embraces the idea of just like, enjoy playing with a friend it has a lot of distractions like uh in one scene you're in a hospital lobby and there's a connect four sitting on a table and you can walk over and click and your friend can walk over and click and then now you're just playing connect four mm. and there's like fun little banter back and forth and all of these things feel intended uh, if you, it maybe if you play connect four long enough you'll get a little scene uh a special little like you know cut scene or something it encourages you to check stuff out um, the other thing that's really striking about this game, and you might want to watch gameplay just to understand what I'm talking about or watch the trailer, it uses split screen for uh, presentation. You know, your game is split, so most of the time, here I am on the left side, and here's my co-op partner on the right side, uh, vice versa. Sorry if the image is swapped. But um, as things happen, uh, if, say they want, say the developer wants to draw your attention to one person's screen specifically because they've just encountered something that's important to the story, the, their screen will become bigger right. and maybe yours will just be a little sliver or your screen will cut out completely. Um, they might add in a third or fourth screen. You kind of get the stylized, almost like spy thriller, seventies TV kind of stuff. It's, it's really cool the way that they use split screen in a refreshing and innovative way to both uh, work some action sequences, uh, work some stealth sequences, and tell a story. Um, it's cool because you'll you'll be peeking at your buddy's screen. Um, they're one place, they're trying to distract guards and stuff. It, it's just, it's a very cool experience. It runs about five to six hours and it has one of, even though the story 
from like hour maybe two to four is like same samey or at least maybe not wholly inspiring Mm -hmm. the last act of the game fantastic it's fantastic i have heard people say and i don't want to spoil anything um but i've heard people say i really wish a game would do this as like a meme or a facebook joke like for the past two years i've seen this little joke pop up every now and again and this game does that thing so it's something people have wanted it's something that people have really sought for out of a cooperative experience out of a cooperative story um and this game delivers on that and it's just it's really really cool it's also a mid-tier price it's 30 dollars. the graphics are a little bit blurry and kind of meh at times but Mm -hmm. like senua's sacrifice man it is a great game and the fact that it's 30 dollars and you can just play with a friend who doesn't have to buy it so if you guys go halfsies on it, 15, 15, 15 bucks, like it's great. And it does so many things, you know, so, so some things might falter, but the things it does well, I really hope become industry standard. I hope a lot of developers look at the way that Joseph Ferris and his team at Hazelight did the cooperative on this, really look at the way that they try to make it a cooperative experience. You're not just playing a game together, but you're having a bonding moment by making decisions, talking about strategy, it's really a co-op experience, not just a co-op game. So I hope that becomes industry standard and people take note. Like, great job, guys. It won't Absolutely. be for everybody, but mm-hmm. but if you have a friend who wants to play games with you, it's like a co-op heavy rain. Can, go ahead. Question from the chat. Good to play with a girlfriend or not really? Um, I guess yeah, Claudia is saying like a girlfriend that maybe is not, a, not into a lot of games or is more of a... Yes. Is there a lot of violence? Um it's not it's not like there's a lot of language but there's not like any torture scenes really or anything that's like gonna there's nothing that's gonna make you squirm nothing that's like super gross uh it doesn't really require a ton a ton of like high gameplay skill um like i said i'm trying to avoid spoilers because the game it's best going in knowing as little as possible Mm -hmm. um just off the idea that it's a really interesting co-op game that's more of an adventure game but there are some sections that have third person shooting um but luckily uh, maybe if one character is a little bit better than the other they can kind of run it the thing is that a way out doesn't try to make one player rule the experience so if one person is taking a little bit longer uh, it might hold up the first person by extending their cutscene or something so what it is good for, for people who are maybe not good at games, is oftentimes if you have someone who's not a great gamer and someone who is a good gamer, the person who isn't that good feels like they're, you know, like extra weight or they're getting left behind, you know? This game does a good job making both players feel like they're moving through the experience at the same pace, regardless of skill. Um, you're really experiencing the story. They, the first opening like sequence of this is amazing in the fact that the two players start in completely different locations and end up in the same location Uh. and it's seamless and even though you can spend as much time as you want diddly dallying here or there or checking out as much stuff as you want to you will arrive at the same door at the same exact time and it will feel super organic so that's the kind of feeling that this game evokes sure the story is a you know like a little bit mad the gameplay can be kind of tropey but the things it does for a co-op experience is amazing. I would recommend playing it with your girlfriend if you're interested in having that cool bonding experience. Like I I, I play a lot of co-op games and oftentimes you just feel like, hey, I'm shooting guys with my buddy. But when I was playing this with my friend Blake, it was like, hey, do you want to go with this guy's idea or this guy's idea? Do you want to talk to this civilian? You're always thinking about it almost like from a realistic standpoint, because if you put yourself in the shoes of those characters, I don't know, man, it was just, it was a very immersive game or at least a game that engaged me and my co-op partner in a unique way that I haven't felt in quite a while. So, okay, sounds great. I'm loving the mid-tier Hellblade. Yeah, the mid-tier. This. What are some it's, other examples? Games that are you? Hey, Hellblade BTW was PS4 yeah. exclusive. It is finally getting released on Xbox One. So if you guys like the idea of being able to buy games that look like AAA games, because Hellblade sent you a sacrifice. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It looks fantastic, but it's only thirty dollars. So if you and it's are on sale this... on PSN right now. How much is it on PSN? Like mm, like twenty five instead of four. Well, in Canada, it's not regularly forty, and it's gone to like twenty five. 
So I probably because the Xbox One is finally getting it, I think this month or early April. Yeah. Um, but these mid-tier games, guys, they're really, really, really putting their hearts and souls into them. And I think Senua's Sacrifice and A Way Out are two of the biz- biggest examples of taking this mid-tier price and allowing the developer to kind of show off unique and artsy things without worrying about this high, high budget. Mm-hmm. So if you want to support that kind of indie, creative, artful games buy Senua's Sacrifice buy A Way Out and you can now get them on all consoles whereas Senua's Sacrifice was just a PS4 exclusive before that's right alright how about we talk about last topic of the day Ready Player One we're gonna the Ready do, Player One movie. We're going to do a... Yeah, it's a movie, but it's got a lot of video game stuff in it. Chun-Li's there, Tracer's there. Mm-hmm. Master Chief collect, a collection of Master it's Chief based, It's based there. on a book called Ready Player One. And uh, we'll, we'll do a non-spoiler for the first half. Quick little non-spoiler review, and then we can do some fun little spoiler discussion at the end, and that will be the end of the episode. So if you turn off to avoid the spoilers, you won't be missing anything else. All right, let's get into it. Ready Player One saw this. I mean, for me, nutshell, it's that Spielberg magic, probably the best movies directed since Minority Report. It f- it just was such a fun romp, visually stunning, the best blend of CGI and practical effects I've ever seen. It has that like high quality Final Fantasy like Advent Children, but it doesn't like punch it in your face kind of CGI. Look at you playing to our crowd. I got you, boy. It's there were there were parts with the uh, with CGI where um, it was it was a lot like Avatar in a way where the things that were obviously CGI were supposed to be because they were in this mm-hmm. virtual world, and then there would be these practical effects in the virtual world, or maybe they weren't. But I never I never looked at anything and I'm like, oh, that's just that's not fake because it was supposed to be, so that worked really well. But yeah. I mean, the facial capture is so good, like some of the subtle. Um, acting they were allowed to do on their faces was just unbelievable. It was, uh, it's a heck of a good time. What did you think? Yeah, real quick, for those who might not know what Ready Player One is, it's yeah. basically the idea is it's in the future, the near future. Uh, there's a guy named Wade Watts. He lives in these like trailer park stacks, and the world is kind of not, it's not like destroyed, but resources are on a down low, and everybody like goes to work, goes to school, and plays in this ginormous virtual world called the Oasis. It has like, every book movie tv show every piece of media it's in there virtually you know you can go to the world of warcraft land you can go to minecraft world you can go hang out with batman and the creator of this giant vr thing dies and he says hey i hid a easter egg in the game and the first person to find it gets everything he they get my half trillion dollar fortune they get complete control of this vr world they get everything um so wade watts the main character says hey i'm gonna become an egg hunter and what follows is this romp where he goes into the virtual world you get all these game characters like matt was saying they go on these challenges that are inspired by video games and popular culture movies and it's intermixed with this uh real life conflict between a young group of kids who just want to win this contest so they can you know for whatever reason versus a big bad evil corporation who wants to control the oasis and put a bunch of advertisements in it and make tons of money um but it has that spielberg charm i matt you didn't read the book right no i did read the book um the movie's trailers made it look like a michael bay film that's trying to pander to video gamers and right and also ya at the, at the same time i thought it yes looked. the trailer was bad which had me completely uninterested in watching this i watched the trailer i'm a huge fan of the book whether or not you love or hate the book i really really loved it uh, i saw the trailer and i went oh god they're gonna ruin it so i'm going in this <laughs> with the lowest expectations spielberg i love him as a director but i didn't I always struggled to think, how are they going to adapt this? Because Ready Player One, as a story, a lot, a lot of the story functions on licensed products. Things like Pac-Man play ginormous roles in the story. Um, But in the movie, they change things enough where you have to look at it differently from the book. Almost everything about the the story in the movie, besides, you know, characters and maybe a few things and the overall message of it, are different. All the challenges are different. You know, there's completely different references. But what I thought this movie was, was one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. 
Um, yes. Like Matt said, you're switching between this virtual world where they're playing these avatars. You know, that's how you have all these characters. You have like one dude's dressed up as Ryu. Uh, there's Chun-Li, there's Tracer, there's Goro from Mortal Kombat, uh, all because they're in this virtual world where they get to pick their avatar. Um, so it's fun to pick that kind of stuff out. But the virtual, the CGI is so good that you never feel like you're in a CGI fest. Mm -hmm. At points, I almost feel like they CGI and they kind of bring back in real world locations. Um, I don't know if that's just me, but you, at no point do you feel like it's a CGI fest. Um, but what it does capture is, if you remember like the Goonies, you know, mm -hmm. if you remember uh, the Wizard, that really bad NES movie that was, or it was about the kid who wanted to go to California and win the Nintendo tournament or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's like that kind of theme, but modernized for all audiences, whether you are 88, not 88. I mean, if you're 88, you'll still like this movie, but you can be eight years old. You can be 80 years old or anywhere in between. It has references for everybody. Um, and it's just one of those enjoyable classic Spielberg things. Here's something I think that sticks out, Matt. You look at the, the main villain who uh, plays, or the main villain is uh sorrento he's mm -hmm. the leader of this big company called ioi right he's played by ben mendelson would you agree matt that at times in in this that he could come off like a little bit dopey a little bit silly at times maybe yeah he was um yeah they did he, uh, they used him a bit kind of not slapsticky but um he was kind of a tad bumbling sure so what it does is it reminds me but just of a this, tiny bit in 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 modern movies, you know, villains are always very violent and very crazy. And Sorrento is violent too. But it reminded me of those old like kids against adults and like the David and Goliath story. But it's not insidious. It's almost like this uplifting kind of thing. Like yeah, there's the bad guys, but they're not like. I think my message is going to get lost in the words, but it reminds me of those old classic movies of classic good versus classic evil, where everything feels like a bit cartoonish, um, you know, and that might falter for some people. Some people might say it's it, the characters lack motivation or feel a little bit shallow or maybe feel a little bit grabby and gimmicky, but it's, it just all feels like this classic movie adventure from the 80s mixed with a lot of 90s video game movies that sucked you know, and make it good. Mm -hmm. uh, even if you, I went to this movie with, um, I was the only one who had read the book out of the five people who went. Everybody, well, no, no. Me and my girlfriend had read the book. Our other three friends had not. Everybody who didn't read the book absolutely loved it. I read the book, loved the book, loved the movie. My girlfriend liked the book a lot and she did not like the movie. So the point I'm trying to make is whether you've seen or read the book or not, you'll probably like it. Mm -hmm. And whether you're not, you consider yourself a huge gamer because the trailer tries to make it like very gamey, you know, video games. There's a lot of movie stuff in this too. It celebrates pop culture in general. I think if um, you just miss the, the 80s had a really good handle on movies and Spielberg was a, was a big, big part of that. They had this genre called adventure because there was a bit of action, but it wasn't, all action all the time. There was a bit of comedy, a bit of drama. but it wasn't stupid. There was a little bit of love here and there. Also, something this movie did really well was there were actual stakes. People die in the movie. People can. It was if, very if, Star Warsy. Oh, it was so Star think, Warsy. There were so many Star Warsy plot that. points. Uh, not to give anything away, but uh, there, if if your character dies in this virtual world, you lose all of the all the money that all that virtual currency you've created so, zero out yeah so there's this whole and that's and then you have to start over so for mm -hmm. that plays into the themes of do you want to do you want to move do you want to take a risk and move beyond your station in life there's a lot of sort of anti-corporate messages um that were probably were super important back in the 80s when we saw the corporate start to rise and books come out like no logo and are even more so now like now i mean the way we're going Everyone's just going to work for minimum wage and you're going to either work for Walmart or you're going to work for Amazon. And that's it. Yeah. No one's going to own anything. No one's going to be able to do anything spectacular anymore because we're all being marginalized. So this movie now has like an even – this story has an even better uh, better motive behind it. You know, one of my friends, he he recommended this, but he said, you know, go if you like the pop culture. And I, I told him I really liked it. And he was saying he thought it wasn't 
wasn't very good. He said it was super fun. Not a great movie. He called the plot paper thin. I thought, I think it was just as much plot as I needed. Do you really need any um, more than exactly what was there? I think, I think when it comes to certain like love stories, they could have benefited from extra 20 minutes. But here's the thing is that this movie is two hours and 20 minutes. And like Blade Runner 2049, it didn't feel that long. It went by in a flash. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to go and see this movie and may not like it or say that the paper or the story is paper thin because they're so entranced by everything going on that they miss yeah. the stuff in between. There is two, I mean, yeah, maybe an hour and 30 minutes of this is just action because the last third of it is a lot of action. But there is scenes in this film that are characters having dialogue that you know moved me emotionally. The characters feel lived in. Um, and this is even coming from somebody who read the book and these characters in the movie are sometimes kind of differently depicted. I liked some of the way that these characters in the movie acted more so than the book. I felt that the, the story in, in the movie was a more succinct version of what the book was trying to say. So, I mean, I guess if you need each character in this ensemble to have a huge extensive backstory and each have like a redemption storyline, that's fine. But if you look back at classic Steven Spielberg, or you look, look at the Goonies, you have Chunk. He's a fat kid who does a funny belly dance, which might've been a little bit bullying like at the time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he has like emotions, but he doesn't have a huge backstory. Data. You know, he doesn't have a ginormous backstory. They're just all these kids who are going against an evil thing because they're all after one common goal. You know, in the Goonies, it's they don't want their neighborhood to be turned into a golf course. In Ready Player One, they don't want their favorite virtual reality thing to be taken over by a giant Facebook kind of company, right? They, I feel like a lot of people are going to go in this expecting it to be like, I don't know, the next epic Star Wars It's going to make this giant universe? No, it's just a two and a half hour thing where you turn off your brain a little bit and just, I don't know, man. This there, movie There are a lot, of, a lot of parts of it, I think, where what, what Disney is chasing by trying to recreate the Star Wars magic... I'm going to get rid of this picture of Chunk showing his belly. Uh, <laughs> I feel like, I bet you there are going to be Sorry. some young kids that see this for the first time and it's going to hit them the way Star Wars hit a lot of people when they were young. Yes. Where it was um I mean there was just so much going on, so much to hit your imagination and they're lucky they had this worked because you had great source material, you had a great script, you had an amazing director and they took their time with it. The problem is that now Hollywood movie like it's this Hollywood movie factory where they go, What can we get? Let's make a Jurassic Park two, three, four movie. Jurassic We're Park do that. World. And we gotta and even Star Wars, it's like we gotta make it fast. We gotta make three movies at the same time, and that leaves no room for error. So if you have any creative differences, they're tossing our directors, bringing directors back in. And it's kinda like like what I was complaining about Final Fantasy fifteen is that you can see where it's rushed. You know, and you can see in The Last Jedi that they had some good ideas, but it was rushed, and then they just put that... They just broke down and made it generically Hollywood great. This movie had such an original spark to it, and just felt so good. It just was so... The only part that was generic for me were some of the music cues. You could tell they brought on the Hollywood machine to to yeah. do it. It sounded like everything else. But then a lot of it was sort of aping the, uh, the best moments of, say, John Williams from the 80s. Yeah, I just think overall, I, I had this thought, and Matt, you had said something to me earlier because I, I had said you had expressed maybe you didn't want to see the movie in theaters, yeah. and I had I had to go see it. You know, one of the first showings because I was reviewing it for another client, and I said this is my favorite movie of 2018 so far. And you said, you know, it's 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 hard to review something like this because it's so divisive, and you might s switch up your your mind. And uh, as I was thinking about things and reflecting on how much this movie affected me. I gave, I gave this movie a 5 out of 5 um, on my review, which is on another site, so don't worry about it. But it, it's... I thought it was not a perfect movie, but damn near close. And as I was thinking about this and thinking about how divisive it is now, I remembered a story about when the first Star Wars trailer came out and a guy in the back of the theater yelled, oh yeah, we'll see that in discount bins in, in two months, right? Great movies will always have people that say they're not good. And 
this movie affected me so deeply and I can see if a younger kid looks at it, this is one of those movies that in 15 years will be like, oh, I remember that movie. Like they were making that. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like this is one of those things, especially with the Spielberg name attached to it, that will go down as one of the greatest fantasy films of all time. It's just going to give people maybe a year or two before they get over their shit. Like I can understand yeah. some people saying it's spotty, uh, but to say this movie is utter trash, no. And also, no. it doesn't heavily rely on the all the properties. It's amazing that they have so many of them there. Yeah. But it's not, and they're, they're just kind of a light background dressing. It's just a nice thing to look at. But actually, the brunt of the story is just about, uh, you know, characters risking it all to fight the greater power and stick it to the man kind of thing. It's it's very much like a uh, more mature Wreck-It Ralph. You know how Wreck-It Ralph uses... Uh, these properties, but doesn't gimmick. You know, this doesn't make them a gimmick. They're just around, and they're see, they're organically, seamlessly inserted into the world. Right? That's what Ready Player One does. It's not like, hey, look at the scene where Chun Li and Ryu are fighting. No, mm-hmm. it's like Ryu is just entering a car. You just see him. A Chun Li and Tracer are just running in a battle. It's just because they belong in the world. And any time that they use video games or movies specifically in the story, they don't feel like they're there to be nostalgia. It's a mechanic. And yeah. it's used in an inventive way. Yeah. I mean, I can't... If I talk any more about, more about it, I'm going to feel like spoiling spoil things. And also, so. without any spoilers, there's a show-stopping scene that you're not going to see coming in the uh, Yeah, the without sequence, saying anything. Sequence. Without saying anything, Ready Player One contains one of my favorite sequences put to film of all time. That's not hyperbole. Yeah. Or, <laughs> hyperbole. It's not hyperbole. It is one of... It's movie magic. Like, when people say, wow, that movie magic, like, mm. this sequence is that it will stick with me for the rest of my life. Just wow, 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 I don't wow, know wow, if we wow. should do a spoiler cast on it. I think you there know, might I feel be like s- I kind of want to wait. Yeah, because I think there might be some people that might stick around anyway and then regret it. I think that this is a movie you want to go in fresh. I don't know if it's a movie really, I'd want to watch again. I'd maybe I'd watch it with a kid or something again or another. I'm uh, gonna go see it again at least twice. But <laughs> Matt, I want Matt to re I want Matt to reiterate that because I felt the same. I immediately went up to two of my friends after seeing this that didn't want to see it, and I said, I am dragging you to see this movie and I'm not telling you why. Because when you see it, you will you bank like me. a kidnapper. I mean, yeah, I'm going to drag maybe, you and you're not going mean, to I drag my and friends. And you'll be blindfolded. Actually, I did the same thing. Um, I The first two friends I spoke to after, I found I one of my buddies, um, he, liked, he likes video games, but his dad has always loved video games too. So he's going to get so many of these references. And it's probably something, he actually didn't know about it. He's like, what's Ready Player One? I had no clue. Yeah. Took a look at it, said it looked cool. So I think it, I, had, I felt like I needed to share with a few other people. But, but. that's that's my point. My, my my friend, he said, oh, I don't want to see it. He doesn't watch anything but anime. He very much likes <laughs> Japanese stuff. You don't, don't, don't you fuck. <laughs> he, hey, there's good anime out there. But yeah. he was, he looked at the he looked at the trailer and he was like, it looks like video games. Like, I don't, you know, I play a lot of games, but it's whatever. And I called him right after and I was like, yo, you need to see this movie. And I'm not going to say why, but if you're an anime fan, there is oh, at yeah. least three shots that will make you There's a very, very away. emotional uh, high point. Oh my God. And I don't even like anime and I don't even like the, the anime thing that they showed here. I but I know I have a cursory knowledge of it enough and it was it was sweet. Oh so God. if you're a movie if you're a fan of cinema and cinema properties, great movies across all time, if you're a fan of games both retro and modern, and if you're a fan of anime and television and cartoons, this movie has at least two or three parts in it that will blow you away. It's got something for everybody. It's appropriate for all ages. Maybe a, a bit too intense for like kids underneath like eight. I would say maybe like 10, 11, 12, uh, right about there. It is a PG-13 movie and going in, it was actually a little bit rougher in one specific sequence than I thought they would go. Um, so something to keep in mind. Don't take your three-year-old to see this. Don't take your four or five-year-old to see this. I wouldn't. It's Yeah, it's it's got that intensity of the 80s movies where... Like, if you went and saw, like, Masters of the Universe, that He-Man movie, that's a scary yeah. movie. Indiana Jones yeah. can be kind of scary, especially Temple of the Doom is really scary. This is, it's not afraid to do some some drastic things to make it feel meaningful. But yeah. uh, that's all we got time for today. Thank you, Ink the Dragon, and Kazi, and Ted Belcher. 
and Thanks, Claudio and Felix Evander. Hey Matt, what are you what are you what are you gonna be playing be. this week? You you finished Shadow of the Colossus, you finished Final Fantasy. So what do we have coming up on the channel? Tomorrow's gonna be Metal Gear Solid 4. Still busting through that, huh? Yeah, that probably the last episode tomorrow. And then we will do uh Wind Waker. Every time I, I think I want to put that down, it gets more interesting. And then now that we finished Final Fantasy 15, we're going to add a new game. And actually, very fitting, the music happens to be playing behind you, us you right know, now. No, I'm going to play loud so you can hear, Maddie. You got a guess? Oh, I can't hear it. No, so you're going to have to just oh, spoil never it for mind. me. Anyways, Mass like Effect a little bit. 1. Mass Yo, Effect Mass 1. Effect. Mass yeah. Effect One. It, it did really well in the poll last time, but Final Fantasy Fifteen won out. We have a we have a big crowd of Final Fantasy fans, so I knew it was going to win out. You better pick Caden. You better pick Caden. Just will, pick Caden. I don't know what that means, but okay. Claudio says, "Nice podcast." Matt's convinced Claudio to watch the movie. Wow. Yeah. And we don't even Guys, get definitely, paid for it. Wouldn't that be nice? I, I really feel like Ready Player One. The marketing is just so stale. It looks exactly yeah. like what you would hate this movie to be it looks yeah. like the, all the trailers make this movie look like the most 2018 pandering come see our movie with all this nostalgia and then when you go and see it it's like you're transported back to the 80s that's it's, uh that's what happened with annihilation trailer looked awful and apparently it was a really nice I, thrilling I really interesting sci-fi me too yeah, but yeah, it's I not really in theaters know. anymore Near me Same anyway. thing with Jumanji as well, actually. I thought Jumanji from last year was going to be one of the worst things of all time, and then I was super impressed by that movie. So, And, oh, I saw the Rampage trailer. That looks bad. Okay, how Rampage. How many movies can the... I mean, I'm a wrestling fan, but how many movies can The Rock be in? And He's also in another movie. Cities exploding. He's in another movie called Skyscraper, where he's a security guard in, like, the super, super tall skyscraper. It's, like, Die 60 hard. stories. Exactly, but it, this, the the um, poster is him jumping from a crane at the skyscraper. Yeah, and just the physics. No, rock, like, rock versus building. Then there's the San Andreas. Him just against the Earth. <laughs> rock, who? Rock versus the biggest rock, the Earth. Oh, and actually, and then I saw the uh, trailer for the Avengers deal, the final one. Well, that's the first part of the final oh, one. What? Inf Infinity War Part One, boy. Breaking Dawn Part One. Oh man, I actually yeah, that yeah. actually got me kind of hyped up. They they did something really special there. They won. You know, you had suggested maybe watching all of the uh, Marvel movies leading up to it, and banging out some reviews. Yeah, I might be up for that. That movie's gonna make that movie's gonna make two billion dollars. Probably. If you guys are interested in that, just, yeah. I don't know, smash on your keyboard. Because sometimes we don't know if we should watch all the Lord of the Rings movies, all the Marvel movies, watch all the Star Trek. Like, there's so many things. Star Trek, yeah. Yeah, see, Matt, he's so about Star Trek. I like sci-fi. The other, the other movie I just want to mention real quick, because I just saw it. I watched half the trailer and stopped, because trailers nowadays give away too much. For instance, the last shot in this Tomb Raider trailer is the last shot in the Tomb Raider movie. Fun fact. Which I hated. Wow. But there is a trailer it's a jack black film i believe it's called the house with the clocks in it um it, it's it's i don't know what it is it's jack black and he's in this very mysterious house and it's like kind house of with like a clock on its walls and cape blanchett yeah. yes yeah it, i guess maybe watch like half that trailer it i don't really know 100 what it's about but it's got this fantasy i'm trying to think Hugo was that Peter Jackson the boy who lived in like the the train station clock yeah. okay it, it looks like that like light-hearted adventure really cool special effects kind of mysticism not mysticism but trippy stuff I just saw that and I was like ooh, that looks really 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 good so Some good if you like artsy kind of family movies I guess keep an eye out Jack Black been killing it lately man what a great yeah he's pretty good oh what did you think real quick what did you think of the voice of the I rock yeah that's tj miller um <laughs> in the book i was I excited because at first i thought it was that greek guy who is on the how did this get made uh oh, yeah, or yeah, something I know, I know what you're talking about um uh, i thought no. it was him and then i realized no it's tj miller so i rock in the book jason manzukas is the guy i was thinking it was yeah uh i rock in the book is this he's like this super rich 
wannabe gunter. He hunts for the egg, but he knows nothing about the culture. He just, he, you, everyone knows this kind of gamer. The guy who just thinks he's hot shit because he has all the cool gear, but actually knows not how to play any of the games. Mm. And in the movie, he's kind of like this mercenary who works for Sorrento inside the virtual world. He's kind of like a fixer. I liked TJ Miller's voiceover a lot. And the thing is, is because he just does TJ Miller, but the comedy in this movie, there's not a ton of comedy in it. And IROC is a great little comedic bit here and there. Um, but I feel like he's a love or hate character. You'll either love this guy or you're gonna hate him beyond. So the all first belief. time him and the the main villain tried to be funny, I felt like they had no idea what the lines that they were reading meant. <laughs> I see there was he drew some chuckles from me, but my audience it he wasn't like the favorite. Mm. Um there's plenty of other things. I think he's decent. Uh, I think the movie would be weaker without a character like him, and I think there's way more things that they could have done worse. I like, yeah. There's things there's that would okay. be spoilery, but I like the way they portray him. I like his character arc, and ultimately, he kind of does represent that guy who spends way too much time in the game, spending way too much money on microtransactions and loot and all that stuff. Uh, you know, I, I like the kind of character arc or character trope. Of that's him. that's a great thing they did in this movie, that. It wasn't just um, all these people are purely good 100% of the time and these people are purely bad 100% of the time. They they weren't afraid to kind of show the light on don't spend too much time in this game. Even though they're fighting with everything they have to save it, you see a lot of the dark side of being in the game too much as well. So it's had a great That's like the through line of this around. movie is, is, is friendship, reality, virtual reality what matters and you know the differences between there you know yeah. and the healthiness of maybe allowing yourself to relax allowing yourself to smell the roses both virtually and in real life it, it's got a good message it's, all right go see this movie go see it please we'll see you later <laughs> thanks for watching everybody bye for now